0: This is Heart's Last Pass by Douglas W. Milliken. The plan hadn't ever been to be in Syracuse at all. Somewhere in Nebraska between nowhere and Lincoln, amid the gliding crop dusters and the pale mists of drifting poison, along the razor straight slash of I-80 East, the rides just sort of dried up for me. I was wind-tortured, and dark-eyed, and strung out in countless small ways, and not one blameless soul wanted me inside their car. And though the prospect scared me like some grasp in dreamtime horror, I really had no other choice than to try my luck stowing away on freight trains. Or staying. I could have just stayed. I did what I thought I needed to do, because an urgency was pushing me hard from behind. Away from the west, dead plunge into the Pacific and back east to the Atlantic and to you. I took a risk and hopped a train and somehow made it to Chicago. Although once there, the crust punk kids I fell in with told me I'd done everything wrong. I shouldn't have legs left, they said. I should have been beaten senseless by bulls. There was a book they showed me made on a photocopier and bound with staples, written by some anonymous train hop in prophet of their generation. His method was a sort of religion. His way was the only true way. On the next train, I followed their lead, but I didn't really see any difference between what I'd initiated and what they had to show me, which maybe proves just how wrong I was. We rode across Ohio and a little bit of Pennsylvania into New York State and had to change trains in Syracuse, If we'd stayed on our train, we'd end up in Montreal, which I guess would have been fine for my friends, but not so fine for me. Our stowaway car jostled to a stop, and we escaped into a rail yard that looked halfway haunted by itself. Busted up train pieces and piled railroad ties, rusting chunks of metal and compressed fuel tanks and garbage. We bunkered down in the woods until dark. About midnight, We spotted our eastbound train rolling in real slow amid the creosote-stinking gloom. We gathered our stuff and trotted up to the tracks and easily tossed ourselves aboard. The train appeared to be mostly empty cargo cars. We settled in and slid shut the door. And a few minutes later, content with our easy berth, we slept. I remember I dreamed of the unceasing wind of Nebraska ripping down across the sky to rake the land like a million pissed-off crows. There was dust in my mouth and snakes in the grass. No evidence of any human anywhere. When we awoke, some indeterminate time later, it was impossibly dark outside and raining hard. The train had stopped moving. All this, I was told, was bad. If they find us, you realize... Val kept saying in a hoarse stage whisper, we are totally fucked. He twirled the ratty fedlock knotting off his chin to add gravity to his point. Val's tendency when sober was to repeat obvious things as if they were imperceptible truths, things only he could see that we were idiots not to see. He was lordly in his condescensions. But get a few drinks in the kid and he'd soften and right up like Play-Doh in the rain. Our other companion, Molly, threw him a little pint bottle of MD-2020 and told him to shut the fuck up. To this day, Molly remains one of the toughest dudes I've ever met. Only about five and a half feet tall, Molly had long black hair and Indian eyes and these beautiful, full hips and breasts. It was very confusing to me. Most folks would assume he's a girl, and maybe but for his perfect sweeping black handlebar moustaches, they'd be right. I mean, I'm pretty well convinced that Molly had a vagina, but that didn't make him any less of a man. Perhaps, in some ways, it made him more so. Probably not. Regardless, I was drawn magnetically to Molly, and also scared of him, and had learned to follow his lead. We passed the bottle of booze around. In the dark, I couldn't be sure of its color, but it tasted like antifreeze green. And everyone relaxed into our predicament. The rain fell, and the train didn't move. We waited. In my youth, I picked up a wise tip about developing a nervous gesture that could be read as not nervous, like having a pipe to chew on and fuss with, or like an old man wiping his roomy eyes with a hanky, give yourself something to do, is the idea, when you've really got nothing else to do. So while we slumped there doing nothing in a train car, I popped out my partial plate, and with a rag from my pocket, wiped the metalwork clean. It's it's unlikely you've forgotten how I lost my top front teeth when I was a kid during one of the most glorious games of H-O-R-S-E ever recorded, but a lot later, after you'd already cut me loose, I lost one of the neighboring teeth when my bat caught the tip of an aluminum baseball bat. This time was categorically not sports-related. All I can say about that is, man, don't ever go to Florida. Florida. The only good I found while there was a newfoundness, found fondness for my teeth, real or otherwise. I rubbed the gunk off my palate and popped the piece back in. God, I wish I had my uke, Val lamented. Shut up about your uke already, Molly said. Val's ukulele had fallen off the last train somewhere near Erie, Pennsylvania. It fell off because Molly made it fall. Given how long we'd slept, Molly assumed we were stopped somewhere out near Albany or maybe further west across the Massachusetts line. I took this as good news. I was that much closer to being home with you and Melanie, that much closer to reclaiming what I'd lost, to putting my life back together. It would be hard work fitting back all the far-flung pieces, but I had faith that I could do it. I could make this work. Val took out a deck of cards and shuffled. Molly... Passed his bottle around again. Our fear was that when the train stopped, rail workers might be checking the cars or something, that somehow someone might find us. So we played our game of poker as quietly as we could. Molly slid open the train's car doors so that we'd have a little light. The rain eased up, then got harder. In a while, we were drunk and didn't care about making noise. Molly took off some clothes I squirmed. Then Val leaned out and opened the cracked door to take a piss, but instead started yelling. Man, what even the fuck? Molly, this ain't Albany. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. We, we, we never even left the rail yard. Molly stood and leaned beside him out the open door. Yes, we did. No, Molly, we didn't. We hopped aboard a stop train. Bullshit we did. Bullshit nothing. I can see where we may camp from here. I can see Billy, for Christ's sake. Billy was another kid we were supposed to be riding with, but he disappeared right around the time our train came chugging through. While Molly and Val argued, Billy stepped up to our open car door. Hey, guys, he said merrily, water streaming through his adolescent fluff of beard. What are you all up to? Hiding out from the rain? That's cool. We're going to Albany, Molly said. No, Val corrected. We're not. How dry is it in there? I've been stuck in this shit for hours. Billy was a good-natured kid. If he sensed the tension between Molly and Val, he didn't let it show. He was wearing a tennis visor that must have made everything right now appear to him through a waterfall. While Molly and Val stood by and didn't help, Billy pawed himself up into our car. It would be a few days yet when we finally hopped our actual train east before Billy lost his grip. ...and got his legs gobbled up beneath a flatbed train halfway loaded with fancy sinks. I remember the last flickering moment... ...when Billy was still holding onto the train... ...but his legs were getting spread for yards and yards behind us. He looked from the decreasing line of his knees... ...back up to where I was still standing, trying to help him aboard. It's like his eyes were saying, this is bullshit... While his mouth hung open in a silent, disbelieving, oh. Then he let slip his grip, and he was gone in the rail side cinders. Until that moment, though, no circumstance was going to dictate Billy's mood. Billy plopped down and drew a 40 of Bubweiser from his tote bag and raised the bottle like it was some sort of offering. He met each set of eyes in turn, said, meh. Though simple and perhaps even crude, his point was valid and irrefutable. We three gathered around him and drank and resumed our game of cards. It always amazes me how these kids with no homes and no money somehow always have booze or drugs. See, I just escaped from a California rehab knowing I had no chance of ever getting clean in a place like that. I mean, who could possibly stay sober in California? The evidence I'd seen suggested it was impossible. My guess was that being on the road would be my best bet. All my resources, every dime, would be spent on keeping my forward motion moving progressively, incrementally forward. Under such severe restrictions, survival would be my only option. But these kids, living such similarly structured lives, clearly had found a loophole. If you had nowhere to go, and were in no rush to get there, why not enjoy the ride? If 20 bucks gets you sober in Boston, won't it also get you fucked up on the way to Springfield? God willing, you'll get to Boston someday. But where'd they get the money to begin with? Maybe they just stole. My gig had always been to make bargains with my body. It's probably easier to always just steal after another hour, we'd gambled all the same nickels and buttons and drank all our booze, and rain or not, I didn't want to be in that fucking train car anymore. I announced that I was heading out to search for more beer. I told them they could join me or not, but no one else seemed inclined to abandon our immobile train. They were opting for not. Fine. Fuck 'em. I gathered my one pitiful bag and headed for the door, where the rain kept roaring like a panther in the night. I stood in the slick doorway and looked left and right, and slipped when I should have jumped and smashed my face into a railway tie, so now my partial plate was all stove to shit. I found my feet quick and smiled inside towards those guys to let them know I was okay, but with my fake teeth all bent like that, I had to have looked pretty insane. Everyone shouted all at once. I could feel the blood flooding in my mouth. Molly started out of the car after me and with his beautiful eyes and soft Bottom lip shining beneath his long mustache sweeps, he looked appallingly like a (laughs) mother. I turned tail and split. In in the way the world often presents these things, my memory of the next little while is not entirely reliable. I know I ran for a long time with a blind sense of being chased and that beyond the train yard, in a gravel lot abutting a warehouse, I met two dudes in in tie-dyed sweaters who were smoking dope through a cast cast glass steamroller in a battered old Chrysler Reliant. They got me high, gave me a ride. I'm not sure where they took me. That part of my memory is gone. I remember the scent of leather and weed in the backseat of the car. Then I remember standing soaked in a parking lot that stretched on forever in every direction. A repeating gridwork of street lamps punctuating the asphalt like giant specimen pins nailing the world into place. And the rain striking unerringly like an eternity of falling bombs. Sizzling white sparks under the mercury lamps with each incandescent blooming. I remember thinking that while the world exploded around me that those boys must have had something more than weed packed into their designer pipe. Or maybe they fed me some pills in exchange for something I could do for them. It was a really bad scene. With bright lights zeroing in rapidly from the darkness, but soon that ended, or anyway, I ended I can't remember much more after that until I woke up early the next morning in the bushes behind a trucker's paradise with the nearby highway roaring like a roller rink. The night's rain had stopped, but I was soaked and felt punctured with my pockets turned out and emptied of even the lint. One of my shoes was missing, but then I found it in the parking lot wedged beneath a semi's front tire. The inside of my skull felt scraped clean with a spoon like a melon. There were tracked trailers parked everywhere in neat military rows and a million gas pumps stationed over in an island and a restaurant in between. All at once, I was rubbery. I was stiff. I headed towards the dumpsters to find myself something to eat. But in the impossible flooding distance between, those dudes reliant was parked by itself and I could see movement inside. Someone stepped haltingly from the back. Gray water slouched around my walking feet and something trickled down my legs. And then I realized it was Molly stepping out of the doper's car, disheveled and blinking and, and grinning like a baby in the savage wet morning air. We stood staring at one another like two idiots on a battlefield while Molly pissed next to the car. And we waved. Molly, man, Jesus, I said as I crossed the wet distance. What the fuck happened? I was asking about his mustaches, which appeared to have fallen off, but he must have thought I met something else. Yeah, some party, right? He ran a hand through his long black hair and laughed. He wasn't wearing pants, just a long tie-dye that barely covered his junk. His legs looked really pretty in this light. Those dudes really know how to have fun. Inside the car, I could see a boy's naked butt. I guess Molly must have followed me when I ran. I'd possibly been with me all night, but everything I remember now feels so alone, like there was no one else in the world. Not even me. Just unholy rain falling massive in the lights. But all that rain was gone now, and I stared at Molly all soft and full in the blue morning light, and felt everything moving inside me, all backward and strange. It had been years since I'd seen you, but as broken as I was, I still loved your indifferent cat eyes and hard hands and impossible stretching limbs. I missed you. I missed our daughter. I missed you. But now here was this man, Indian-eyed, And half-naked in a truck-stop parking lot, I hated my heart and everything it makes me do. Lightly around his lips, Molly was pale where his mustaches once hung. It took everything left within me not to touch that soft, once-hidden skin. Meekly, I gestured towards the dumpster and asked Molly if he'd join me, if he wanted something to eat. Molly smiled, closed his eyes, and turned his head. When he opened his eyes again, he was looking in at the sleeping boy's butt. Then his grin grew sweeter. I think I'm going to hang out here for a while more, Coleman. And he eased back into the car. I'll catch up with you boys later. I'd forgotten I'd fucked my mouth up the night before. Now I remember it. I watched Molly cozy down with the boy. I watched traffic lights burn along the highway. So many people with places to go, but none of those places were for me. A door kicked open at the back of the restaurant and a man in whites tossed a bag into the dumpster and he went back inside. Behind me, Sammy's air brakes hissed. I didn't know where the fuck I was or where the train yard might be or what had happened to the rest of my friends, but that didn't feel like it mattered anymore. Knowing things didn't matter. Kicking my feet through the grave flood water, sucking my ankles and heels, I pointed myself in any direction, and no direction I chose was home. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you.